You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards, from Columbus, Ohio. And I'm Matt Duncan out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. We thrive on the support of our listeners, so find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 66, uh, 3 times 22. That's I was thinking of the with. same thing, yeah. Not 6 times 11? Nah. Although 11 is a little bit cooler than 22. Well, it's just fully factored. I mean, 11 times 3 times 2. Yeah. That's um, great. You have a, this weird little swivel arm in front of you. Did you did you bite the bullet and buy the Rode PS, PSA1, PS1A? What is it? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand my old swivel arm anymore. It's one of those moments where I'm fully okay with admitting that in an early episode, we talked about cheap equipment and how cheap equipment can sometimes be good. And as an example, I listed the uh, swivel arm that I bought for like 20 bucks. <laughs> it wasn't good. It <laughs> was not good. I would not recommend it. And I wanted something good. And so, yes, I bought the real thing <laughs> by the same company that made my makes my microphone. So I like thought, yeah, that's that's an ample swivel arm. That's. That's the one I should get. And I couldn't be happier. And so far, how has it been? Couldn't be happier. Like, it's, I mean, you can see it now. Like, I'm leaning completely back. It's still in front of my face. And this whole movement, you didn't hear a thing. You heard nothing. I can move it around like crazy and yeah. you're hearing nothing. And stable, rock solid, stays where you put it. <laughs> yeah. And it also extends really far up. So uh, if I wanted to do like a vocal take, I don't need another uh, mic stand. I can just stand up and it's it's perfect. And again, you didn't hear anything. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, as we record, it's through Skype and it, but I didn't hear a damn thing while you were moving that around. So we're not sponsored by Rode, but, uh, but we do love Rode. Public service announcement that their swivel, their boom arm is really good. Yeah. I mean, it's called PSA. There's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, so you also have, you know, our last episode was titled after the fact that your interface woes were swamping all over you. Is that, is that still happening? No, no. That <laughs> chapter is Ju- Judging by the quality now. of what I'm hearing from your voice right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean you don't hear any noise? Because I don't <laughs> feel like last time we heard any noise. No, um, this chapter is almost close. I'm, I won't roll it up the whole story again, but... My interface was in repair. It was in repair for 42 days. I got it oh, back. Yeah. I got it back. I unpacked it. I turned it on. And it was like, wow, it works. Turn on Ableton. Pluck my bass guitar in because I had that bass guitar for almost the same time that the interface was broken. And therefore, I only had like a raw bass guitar with no bass sound. While I'm playing, it's like, oh, that's weird. Sometimes I get some dropouts. I have to like restart the audio engine in Ableton. Uh, yeah, later that evening, it didn't turn on on the first try, but on the second, and I was like, ah, oh, this is the same behavior I remember from like <laughs> half a year ago. Let's see where that goes in the next few days. And next morning, I got up, I wanted to do some voiceovers for work, and it didn't turn on at all. I mean, it turned on, but once again, it was like handling no audio whatsoever, no outputs, like no inputs. half drunk. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I emailed uh, my online dealer again. 
I said, hey, yeah, that stuff you sent me is still broken. I'm going to send it back to you again. I would like to get some store credit. Like, don't even try to repair this. Just store credit. And once I'm done writing this email, I'm going to buy a new one because I cannot wait anymore. And uh, so I did that. And then I went to Twitter to complain about this whole ordeal and this whole time span and, and tagged Focusrite in it. And they got back to me like in an hour. It's like, hey, what's the matter? Why are you having so such a bad experience? And I explained it to them. I went really into detail, like how, what happened. And uh, they're like, yeah, send us, uh, please give me your email and your RMA number and we'll figure something out. And like a day later, I get it, I get an email by them. Um, and so by the time the thing was already in the box and ready to ship to my online dealer again, then Focusrite said, so we looked into it again. If you want to send your interface to us, we will just give you the same one, but the new version for free. We'll just send that one back to you. And I was like, wow, that's a great offer, but I cannot take that <laughs> for the simple reason. It would have been like really complicated to then tell my online dealer, Hey, I'm not going to send it back to you. I would have to send it to them, wait for it to arrive. Then they would send me the new one, which is again, like an, a week or maybe two if I have bad luck until the new one arrives. And I didn't want to get into that. And also I had already ordered the new one. Either I would have canceled the order or send it back within the money back guarantee. But I don't want to abuse that. Like I like my online dealer. They're great people. I don't want to abuse their money back guarantee. And yeah, I just got the new one a few days later and it works. It's it's the new one. It works. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Now the chapter is almost closed because I sent my old man back to the online dealer and they said, well, we want to take one more look at it. In Germany, they have a right to try to repair it uh, before they give me store credit. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Even the, the manufacturer, like if they now contact the manufacturer, they don't know that I've been talking to Focusrite. Focusrite will tell them, oh yeah, that guy, oh, just throw it in the trash. Yeah. Well, that's, that's happy to hear because I mean, that kind of gear friction is so, such a buzzkill for creative work when you're spending your time yelling at your tools instead of figuring out what you actually want to figure out. These were dark times. I had stuff <laughs> that I wanted to do, songs that I wanted to produce, and I couldn't go anywhere. And, and like, it's, I just couldn't do anything musically. I could just play a raw guitar or a raw bass guitar. <laughs> like an animal. And that, that's it. Yeah. And, uh, it was kind of depressing. And now I'm glad like I can unle unleash all the creativity again. And I'm doing some. We talk about that later in the episode. Yeah. But first, you are, you are doing some creative work as well, because I know you are on a little hiatus for the last few months and <laughs> you're back in the game. I am uh, in a couple of different ways. And one that we'll actually share here on the show. And uh, I was flying back to Denver for a Brian Wilson concert and also to spend a few days at uh, my office, which I still work for at the University of Colorado. And, uh, on the flight, I, you know, usually I just zone out and like play an iPhone game or listen to a podcast. But this time I intentionally loaded up an app called Nano Studio and decided to put in my crappy Apple ear pods and, uh, just, uh, play around tapping through this app and seeing what it can do. 
And it's kind of surprising how robust this app is, even though it hasn't been updated in a couple of years. Uh, it may be abandonware at this point, but it still functioned fine. <laughs> and uh, I basically tapped out so a baseline and then started, you know, adding more and more layers. And before you knew it, I had like this little minute long synth song. So let's just listen to it real quick. Then I'll talk about what I did. was like maybe half an hour maybe 45 minutes of just dicking around in the app and uh i was teaching myself the app at the same time so i've never used this app before even though i've owned it for a long time <laughs> it's one of those like you see a 99 cent sale and you buy stuff and then later you're like maybe i should actually use things i buy uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, I was just uh, sort of surprised and I shouldn't be at this point, you know, like nine years after the iPhone has become a, an app platform that people are trying to build these things. But, um, you know, short of being a full DAW, this is, you know, what you'd probably more accurately describe as a full MIDI sequencing studio with uh, sampling capabilities. So you can load in your own audio samples and trigger them with a keyboard uh-huh. or, or drum pad. Uh, interface and I put in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 66. Um, a link to this song on SoundCloud if you want to check it out again, or uh, also an imager album that has just some screenshots of what this app looks like. Um, but the, you know, you look at the app and you're like, okay, like it's going to be frustrating to use, but they've actually got some clever UI for the way you do things and the way you can select and move and, um, it definitely, like most of that half hour I was messing around was kind of trial and error, getting used to the, the way, like, and like, I'm sure there's a way I can loop this part, or I'm sure there's a way I can dive in and edit the actual piano roll of the part I clumsily played. You know, I want to quantize it. I want to um, do whatever. And uh, it was just sort of like a, a fun discovery half hour of, oh, this thing has per track effects. Let's play with that. Oh, this thing, you know, it does multi-tracking. How many, how many tracks do I get? And in the basic version, you get like six channels and you can buy an upgrade for like five bucks that gives you 16 channels, which is not nothing for a phone doing this. Um, (laughs) and really honestly, if you need more than 16 tracks for your production, that's likely to be not going to do that on the phone in the first place. No. And like there's like almost every song I've ever made ends up having more than 16 tracks, but the actual core composition rarely needs that much. It's more like, well, I kind of want to take this part and have five different types of instruments play it and with different effects. And then you end up layering them and treating them as one sound. But, um, 
I was just, it was just really fun and really uh, approachable. And yet there's a lot of depth to this app. And the other thing that struck me about it is it's very real time. Like I can have the song looping a part or the whole song and I can jump between every single one of these views while it's playing and adjust effects in real time, which is not a news story for desktops, which have been real time for a long time, but um, was something I was not expecting. Like I, I sort of was like, Oh, I'm sure it'll let me change the EQ and then hit play. But, you know, it's such a huge difference to the editing process to be able to do that in real time and hear the change as you're making it. So, and you know, this isn't like the greatest song ever made or something, <laughs> but it, it was a lot of fun. And Definitely is the reverbious sound song you've ever made. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of decided to push all the knobs up M83 style on everything. It's like, let's just drown <laughs> everything out. But uh, I'm sort of... You know, this app hasn't been made for the iPad Pro or anything, but I'm sort of interested to hear if there's any, you know, studios or or some of these big hitters. Like, why isn't like Apple's made like a little tiny mobile garage band, but where is logic for iOS? Like, give me, you know, it doesn't have to do everything the the OS 10 version, does, excuse me, the Mac OS version does, but it could do a huge subset of it and whatever they decided was suitable to mobile. Yeah, there, there will definitely be a point where these things will move more towards like a fully fledged DAW. I'm also waiting for one of the big guys like Avid or Apple or Steinberg, uh, like to, to make their Cubase on the go or, or Logic, uh, go or something, whatever they want to call it. Everybody calls their apps go when there is already like a version <laughs> for, the, for go. the PC or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tomb Raider go. Or was it Lara go? No, I think it was Tomb Raider go. Lara Croft go. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Lara, I think that was it. I'm, I'm looking at the screenshots now and yeah, it, it looks like this is, this is at the moment, these, these things have made the step from toy to scratch pad. As you described it, you can like do the initial composition for a song and get an idea out. And so far, like when I remember a few years back when like the first cork app appeared, it's like, yeah, great. You can turn a few knobs and it sounds like a synthesizer, but what are you going to do with that then? And <laughs> this seems like, yeah, what comes out of this, I can export that. I can work with that. For me, looking at this, I'm so remembered of um, the the game that Benji and I used on the PlayStation when I see things like 36 of 1,000 events used. As soon as I see that, even if I never get even close to 100 events, I would know like got a limit here <laughs> gotta stay under the limit oh i only have like four effects in this chain i still have one left yeah i want to use it up <laughs> i know that i'm really paranoid i want to be like completely like no upper limit it's like oh i'm building a new pc ram give me all the ram i don't want to i don't <laughs> even want to think about it the only thing that I noticed that would be a concern doing this on the go is it definitely murdered my battery. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you have the double battery. Yeah, I do. And by the end of that day, which I was using my phone as my, you know, my boarding pass for my connecting flights. So there's a point where I was like, <laughs> I better save my battery so I can get on the next flight. Um, but it definitely, other than that, uh, performed so well. And I, I don't have like a new, like my iPhone is from 2014. It's an iPhone 6. It only has one gig of RAM. And I think some of that's just Apple has been, we'll talk about it later, but you know, their, their audio APIs have been good for a long time. And I think iOS just benefited being a baby OS 10, uh, 
by inheriting all that. And then maybe there's like things in the background that we don't know about and maybe you cannot tell by using it with your uh, earphones. Like, um, is it running 16-bit? Is it maybe even 24-bit? Like, what's what's the sample rate, the bit rate? True. Maybe it's all scaled down because if you're using this on the go, you won't even notice, which, fine. I, why not? If it, if it then makes it able for you to do more tracks or... Or even another thing is, um, I mean, you you are doing here, like, it's all MIDI tracks through, like, synthesizers. Are they mono? Are they stereo? Is that even a huge performance hit? Right. Like, they can be... Oh, wait, the, the mixer looks all stereo, though. Oh, yeah, you can pan um, left and right. There, there can be a lot of things that could technically um, double your performance when you do things in mono. Like, it's, I know it's not technically true. Like, just going to stereo doesn't mean it's double the hit. There's always some overhead that is shared. Yeah. But there can be some things happening in the background where it's like, yeah, I can tell it's just 16 bits, not <laughs> 24, and doesn't matter. Looking at the settings, there's an audio quality setting, and it's labeled as vague as possible, low, medium, high. <laughs> so... I'll have to do some, maybe I'll do some live research during your next story and see if I can unravel this. Lowest mystery. probably 96 kilohertz MP3 quality. <laughs> uh, they do have a website. Uh, let's see here. Well, I'll, I'll look into that and it'll either be follow up next time or uh, I'll pipe in and interrupt you rudely and then have the answer. <laughs> uh, so I'm back with my research on Nano Studio and... Uh, they uh they only come down to 16-bit at the export level, which is when it makes sense, because once you're down to only listening to something, as we've covered so many times, you don't need more than 16-bit. Um, and they, they don't say exactly if it's 24-bit or, God forbid, 32-bit, um, but that it, it... I really doubt that. Um, but that it is floating point signal path. It's 44.1 kilohertz, which is... Um, not as high as you might typically do during production, but it's fine um, for this. Um, I seem to remember that I believe the, the 32 is actually like 32 floating points. I, I, I usually is, see those mentioned like together too. Um, you can have up to 16 different patches and you can have up to four tracks, different tracks per patch. So you could have 64 tracks of only 16 different sounds. Um so I guess there's some kind of RAM limitation there. They don't want to load more patches. Uh, well, that's understandable. Really generous. You could do a lot with that. <laughs> um, I wow. remember in the 90s with my 166 megahertz gateway laptop composing MIDI songs and <laughs> 16 tracks definitely stretched the abilities of that computer. Yeah. Um, granted, it only... I think the PlayStation, the PlayStation Music game also did like maximum 16 tracks, which is, which means if you have a polyphonic MIDI, that could already be like three of those tracks. Yeah. And, and then I think a maximum of 32 voices at a time. So even if you have 64 tracks, you're not going to fire off all those voices at the same time through this app. But that's still probably enough. Oh, wait, maybe to that's not have per to worry instrument. about it if you're just making a song. Anyway, uh, I'll include a link to this, and anyone who's interested in this app can look for themselves. Not sponsored by them. <laughs> so in the wake of all the these hardware shenanigans, and I had to record and uh, generally work through like my shitty USB mixer that I still had, that I'm kind of glad that I already had, but yeah, it's I felt like an animal. Like I had, I had to record two podcasts through that. Um, we streamed a bunch of times through that and it was generally a hassle and like half the signal was just noise. 
it was all noise. I had to filter out so much crap. And then in prepare, in preparation for getting a, a good audio interface back, another thing that really bugged me for some time now was that my computer was just really loud. Like you could sometimes hear it on the podcast. I finally dropped some serious money on a new PSU by a German company, Be Quiet. Also not sponsored, but still we like them. They produce basically the quietest PSUs you can get. Like, um, I, there's like a high range tier, like the highest range is dark power. I got the one below that straight power and it's so quiet. You don't hear it, which is bad because now I can hear how loud my CPU fan is and my case fans and the refrigerator. And I'm now like on this race to the bottom of, I, I have to be, I have to get everything so quiet. <laughs> I want this, I want this room to be totally quiet. And you know who the victim is? My wallet. <laughs> um, I was just trying to look up. I've been looking to build an After Effects PC for a while. And there's a company in Seattle called ah. Puget Systems. And uh, they also advertise uh, doing custom builds that are very focused on the quietness. Uh, and, you know, any any PC I build for After Effects is going to end up doing audio work too, um, let alone gaming and maybe VR. <laughs> but... And it's going to be very hot when it's rendering. So you, you want that thing quiet. Seriously quiet. And, uh, I've been really, you know, their, their machines cost a lot, but it's sort of like, um, if you built machines similar with other, you know, vendors, it would cost this much anywhere. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely suddenly on that train of like, I want my computer to be silent. I don't want to know it's in the room from an audio standpoint. I could literally tell the difference within turning it on. It was like, wow, it's really quiet now. But then you just readjust and it's like, now this thing is quiet. Now now the refrigerator in the background is, <laughs> is uh, it's so loud. Oh my God, I want everything to be Especially quiet. Especially any condensers you're yeah, using. Yeah, and I was, uh, I, while I, w I didn't have my uh, mixer, so this this whole things started in my head like i want to do vocal recording and like actual singing vocal recording i don't want to do that in my living room anymore because it's like the reflections are just the worst ever so i will do them in the closet and like the typical home studio thing i just wanted everything to be quiet <laughs> and perfectly soundproofed without doing any soundproofing <laughs> everyone shut up and then a car drives by and you hear all that and it's it's all lost again. Yeah. Can't wait to move into a new apartment. Maybe next year. <laughs> so I got the new interface. It's working fine. I'm doing some Ableton stuff. It's great. And then I remember that, okay, there will be a time where I want to do the uh, Skype recording, podcast recording call again. And I like to do live streaming now uh, with Lars. We're doing a lot of live streams now. I do a lot of live streams now, like mostly gaming, but also other stuff that I'll get into. And so I'm again at the problem of uh, piping my audio from Ableton into some other app, which I used to do by just uh, yeah plugging a, a cable from the output of the interface back into any input from the interface. This worked in a way that I had uh, another software that was running that was called Asio Bridge. I could route any input from my Focusrite into any other mme engine sound thingy which is a virtual cable and that routes back to wherever i want it great it yeah. worked great i got the new interface try the same thing suddenly using this asio bridge it worked but there were so many clicks and pops like <laughs> as if my pc suddenly struggled with audio which was crazy 
I, I couldn't explain it. I tried every latency setting. It just wouldn't work. And I know it, I was on the latest version and I still haven't done it, but I will email the guys that develop this and tell them like, hey, on my old Focusrite, it worked. On the new one, it doesn't. Do you know why? Can I fix this? And so I had to figure out something else. I was thinking about getting just a new regular PCI sound card that had better digital to audio converters and, and vice versa just to pipe it back into the regular sound card. But that still involves a cable. I had to get new hardware. And I found this VST plugin, which supposedly records to a file or sends uh, like an audio stream to some audio device. I downloaded it, put my, put it, tried to put it in my VST folder. And it's like, want to replace this? And wait, I already have this. <laughs> and then I remembered, yeah, I have this. It just didn't work or I didn't know how to configure it. And now I had a reason to figure that out and I could configure it and it worked. Awesome. Like now there is no extra cable in the way. It's totally flexible. I can put this anywhere I want in Ableton on any track I want right now. And you can find a screenshot of that in the, uh, in the show notes. Uh, Matt's comfortable EQ correct and router. I've made like a little Ableton live patch. That's basically one track is the EQ correction that I have for my headphones. Remember we were talking about the reference monitor thing that like uh, tries to equalize the headphones. Yeah. Still haven't bought it. Maybe I'll get it for Christmas, <laughs> but I try to copy the curve into just a regular equalizer and it, it does its job. <laughs> it's fine. But I don't want that on like the, uh, the recording or on your end because you have totally different headphones. So it's not grabbing that audio. It's grabbing the audio in parallel to that. And then when I'm bounce, finally bouncing this whole recording later to, to a WAV file, I just turn it off and it's so comfortable, <laughs> so flexible. But also a disadvantage here. For some reason, um, and right now only you are able to tell, there's like almost half a second latency. Yeah. And you're talking and, with your hands right now and it's all out of sync. <laughs> yeah. And you might wonder like, well, the sound is completely in the box. There is no reason. Like even looping it back out of the interface back in again and it goes through another round of converters and stuff. Even that never had a noticeable latency impact. Yeah. There are a few settings that you can work with like buffer count and buffer sizes. And for some reason it has a setting for 2048. And then you would think the next one down is half that. 1024. Nope. It skips that. It goes straight to 512. 512, that's too short. That's where I start getting clicks and pops. <laughs> right in the middle, I would love to have that setting. For some reason, doesn't have that setting. This thing is like a few years old. No no updates. Nope. Latest Maybe there's mode. some command line way to force it into that mode if the developers get back to you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Um, so the, the, this is a different recorder. Oh, so this gotcha. is a Voxango recorder that, that it's working now. Um, it's just weird that it doesn't have that setting. And now I'm finally, maybe that will finally push me over the edge to when I have some time to just program my own VST that does that. Because on paper, all it has to do is it has a buffer that records from Ableton into, and then it pushes that buffer to some other sound yeah. device. So technically there isn't much happening. It's just, you have to read up on how certain protocols work and do I have to put this into that and have to convert it from this into that. And, but technically it's not really doing any special audio yeah. processing. I, I want to figure that out. Um, so far it hasn't been too much of a problem, this latency. Um, you can tell, but it's not a big problem because you can't even see my mouth behind my pop filter. <laughs> it's, 
just frustrating that there's so many 95% solutions. But now you're going to tell me that there is a way out. You should just buy a Mac. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, I do want to just represent the that side of the equation as a creator that's been using Apple's platform for a long time. And one of, you know, there's a, there's a, I want to preface by saying there's this stupid myth that like Macs are better for creative work. That is like we've covered before is just like, that's bullshit. Like that's like, you can use whatever. But one thing that has been really nice uh, in OS 10 for a long time is the audio APIs and which I hinted at earlier talking about the iPhone, but um, they call it core audio And it basically is an abstraction layer, a very high performance abstraction layer that lets different classes of audio hardware and software talk to each other without much fuss. And it enables a class of apps that are really useful. And the ones I want to point out that I think are, they're either free or they're totally worth their price. And, uh, my, the, the one that's free is called Soundflower. It was an open source utility. That is, I don't think it's currently being developed anymore, but it's maintained with whatever that means by the company that makes these other apps I'm going to talk about. But Soundflower is exactly like the, the, the plugins you're describing where it just lets you play with IO from one app to another app. You can say, I want to intercept all the sound coming out of Safari and I want to pipe it into my OBS live stream or, you know, any direction you want to do that. And they just show up. Uh, to the system, they just look like any other audio interface. Your Soundflower shows up just like your physical hardware audio interface. And you just say, point sound at that, receive sound from that, and you're done. Um, for people that don't want to use something that's... It's still very like programmy, developer-y. Uh, Soundflower is kind of a support yourself, figure it out, buddy type of solution that totally works. Um, but, you know... There's a, also a culture on Mac of making things have nice UIs that are user friendly. And so there's an app by a company called Rogue Amoeba called Audio Hijack. And this app is wonderful. Um, whether you just want to rip audio from Spotify or YouTube, like I do for a sample every single show, um, <gasps> or if now they know. <laughs> if I if I want Shelby to be able to record herself for likely story without any help from me, uh, she can use this app and it makes sense because it says record Skype to here, record my mic to here, done. And uh, she doesn't even have to think about it. And, you know, there's a whole uh, app economy for recording Skype and so many companies want to take 10 or $20 from you just to record <laughs> Skype calls. And there's no reason you have to do that. Uh, one other app by this company, Rogue Amoeba, is called Loopback, which is kind of more directly... So Audio Hijack gives you like a whole window where you can throw plugins and you can build these chains. So I could, you know, take, you know, something I'm playing music out of, like my DAW, or maybe just a, a music playing app, like, God forbid, iTunes or Spotify. And I could mix <laughs> that with our live microphones and point that all to one output. I can throw a compressor. I can throw any uh, built-in plugin at the system level into that chain. So it's sort of like a mini DAW without it having to be a real DAW that has all the extra baggage. It's like, hey, I'm building a live stream, and I have all these various audio things going on, and I want to create one stereo track that goes to YouTube. 
And so Audio Hijack makes that easy. Loopback is sort of like Soundflower in that it's it's sort of behind the scenes. It's just like, you know, you, you see the old uh, phone switch videos from like, you know, phone companies in like the early 20th century. It's basically that board uh, at the system level that lets you pipe audio around, but they make it easy. Um, so... I'm, I feel like I'm living a spoiled life where this problem has been solved a hundred different ways by very good, high quality software. And so I've never had to think about it. And as I ponder building an After Effects PC because Apple doesn't make pro hardware anymore, uh, I'm kind of left with this like, uh, but then I lose core audio. Then I'm, I'm, I'm in the wilderness a bit. And I'm sure, you know, I'd figure it out. I'd get some of these utilities that you're linking to and I would, I would solve the problem somehow, but it's just more paper cutty, man. <laughs> I'm on apple.com right now. Should I get the 13 inch or the 15 inch MacBook Pro? <laughs> you shouldn't buy um, any of their hardware. No, it's no, all no, been no, like no. three know, years. <laughs> uh, but if they update them. But yeah, let, let me know. I, I feel like I already know the whole library of these kind of tools. And so the, the strange thing is this Voxango recorder that I'm right, using right now that is piping any audio from any track to any MME device. It's weird that there's only one VST that does exactly that. So I was uh, browsing through the KVR um, database, like a big database of VSTs. Most of them are even free. And there's like a ton of VSTs that do um, audio over the network where technically I can place it in my Ableton, you place that in your Pro Tools, and I could record directly into your Pro Tools over the network. At least that's what they're huh. promising. There's like 10 VSTs for that. But stream it to your own audio device? Mm. <laughs> only one. And that one doesn't do 1,024 bits buffer. <laughs> it's weird. Uh. Yeah. Just got to roll your own. The problems didn't really stop there, though. So I figured out how to do this without clicks and pops in general. I tested it out, and it was great. Um, I streamed a little bit of Deus Ex, and it was working fine. So great. I plug the webcam in, start OBS. And so OBS is the open broadcaster software. If you like streaming and you don't want to use any paid things, you, you, you'll probably want to use that. So if anybody wants to get into streaming... I start that, it starts capturing the webcam and the audio, at least through this virtual cable, goes to complete shit. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And so, like, after the fact, I knew it was the webcam, but I didn't know at the time. And so I did a lot of Googling and found out that uh, this specific webcam that I had had a problem where when you run it in 1080p, it starts hogging CPU cycles like crazy for some reason. So there's a thing called DPC latency, deferred process call latency, that has to do with when you're streaming audio, um, or generally when you're working with audio, the problem is that you want to push bits from point A to point B, and you want to do it usually in like 44,100 times a second. Now, you don't have, at least usually, you don't have like one specific part in the in your computer that works 44,100 times a second and does just that, audio processing. Your CPU, your general CPU has to do that. But you have to share your time with other stuff. So what you do, you work in buffers. So you basically produce like five milliseconds, say, of audio. You push that further. Produce the next five seconds. Push that further. 
the problem is once you have certain drivers that start hogging your CPU cycles, you can't produce those five milliseconds reliably anymore. Like sometimes you take a little bit longer because you were interrupted in the process. That's where the clicks and pops start. So running the webcam at 1080p hogged too many CPU cycles that my Audi engine couldn't be, couldn't produce the, or couldn't push those bits from A to B anymore. Scale it down to 720p. It's working again. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Why is it so complicated? So I found this tool that like, um, uh, analyzes your latency. I've again linked one of those in the show notes for anybody who also ran into that kind of problem. And it really shows like once you put the webcam on in 1080p, this thing spikes like crazy. It's like, <laughs> uh, like five times the, the latency. And it's like, wow. Logitech, get your shit together. This is a great ca- <laughs> webcam, but in 1080p, it, it starts like blocking everything else that is trying to do real time stuff. And usually when I use that thing, I want to do real time stuff. And, and can't we be parallel? Like, is it like, uh, a- I've got eight <laughs> cores on this CPU. Yeah. You can get one of them and l- please leave me the other seven. But no, it's like, Oh, now I'm going to use this one. Now I'm going to use this one. Where's the auto engine? I want that one. <laughs> I'm, I was getting so yeah, sick. Some like quality of service, like setting where you say you can crap up the video feed if you have to, but do not mess with this audio stream. Prioritize it. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Basically, if you really want to solve this problem for good, you will have to get a dedicated device for all of these things. Like I would just have one machine that does nothing but accept a video stream and like an audio stream through regular audio jack, just pipe that through to the internet. That's it. Yeah, no processing. Yeah, just nothing. Just an OBS machine. But I'm not going to get that. Like I built this PC, as I <laughs> described earlier. I don't want to have to think about these kind of things. I don't want my webcam to interfere with my audio problems. Like that should be totally out of the question. Once again, you have to deal with that stuff once you... uh um try to do anything complicated and that's what i usually try to do i want to do complicated stuff that's what i got that's why i got this machine for as i described like this was for streaming but i'm not only streaming games this is a music podcast so why are we talking about streaming i started streaming some music making processes like at the beginning of the year i i once did a live stream where i actually improvised stuff on my improvised machine um, I'll soon get back into that now that I've got my interface back, but I did a very different kind of stream the other day and I was kind of scared going into it, but at the end, uh, it felt like so much fun. I really want to do it again. I'm in the process of re-recording a few older songs again, and I'm like, generally the, the songs are already there, but I want to put more bells and whistles in them, like rework them a little bit. I don't want to just record the same stuff I had back in the day. It will just sound like a better mix down then. And I got my bass guitar. I wanted to figure out a few new bass melodies. And I thought, well, that's that's a good thing to start streaming with. Just let people watch me while I figure out what to play, like do different takes. And then I can ask them like, which one do you like better? And I, I did that with like two songs. It took two and a half hours i am um, and it was just a lot of fun and it wasn't just fun i felt like i was doing more deliberate i was i was making more deliberate decisions in the music making progress where usually i just sit here alone and nobody's supervising me 
I record the first <laughs> thing that comes to mind. If I played it, as as long as it's a clean recording and I didn't play dirty or made any mistakes, that's usually what stays in there. But then I thought, hey, I can do this another way. Record it that take. Or even a third way and do that way. And then I went back and forth. And then since I had an audience, I felt like I had to describe my th my thinking process and like legitimize my choices. And like, oh, this works because I'm playing the fifth year and this works better in that way. And I felt like I know I've got plenty of knowledge in, in music theory, but I feel like I never really use it because I don't want to spend the time. But now I feel like <laughs> I don't want these people to think I'm a hack. So let well, me actually... You just backed yourself into discovering why teachers learn things really well, because teaching things forces you to learn. That's true. And I, I guess that's, that's, yeah, you're right. Like you, you really learn something once you start explaining it to somebody else. And this happened like every two or three minutes. I played something. It's like, wow, this is a lot better than the other one because at this point I'm playing that and the rhythm sings up here and it's like, I, I'm going to do that now because it works or I'm not going to play anything here because the other thing does that. And it was very fascinating just for myself to, to recognize that, Hey, I can explain why I do that. I just never bothered to do that even to myself. <laughs> like even in an inner monologue, I never did that before. And I'm so hooked and I really want to do it again now. Um, could, did you have a chance to like skip through a bit of that? Like it's, I know it's yeah, two I hours and you're and, a busy and you guy. sent me the, you sent me the time code where you were pimping this podcast on it. <laughs> uh, hopefully some people check it out. Hello viewers. Yeah. Let us know if, if you're here because of Matt's live stream. Um, no, it kind of made me want to just for fun to do this for editing a podcast. And I'm sure, you know, yeah. there's probably some videos out there about this, but, um, I think people would find that valuable for a different kind of editing. Like, you know, even though I, I take a lot of shortcuts and do a lot of like, man, I'm just going to do this when I edit a podcast. Um, yeah. nonetheless, even knowing like the, the cheap shortcuts I take might be interesting to some people. And I'd be interested to hear myself explain it out loud. Uh, why do I do this? Why, why is my compressor set this way? And you know, what, what passes my good enough threshold to be like, okay, ship it. Um, when, when I'm mixing one of these things and, uh, no, I think, you know, even as I've, I've handed off a lot of my editing duties to, to you and Lions over the past couple of years where I hardly have to do as much editing anymore. Um, I do think the next time I'm in a project where I want to hand off audio editing, it'd be really nice to have, you know, here's soup to nuts, me explaining what I'm doing as I edit. And, uh, you know, I, it's a model that, that works and, you know, it's easy to sit back and be like lecture is the worst form of teaching, but there's a, there's sort of a difference in that, um, specifically making the way you think visible is more than just plain lecture where it's like, I'm just reciting the textbook. Um, or <laughs> I'm just reading my article I wrote a year ago. I mean, and you have to come up with it on the fly because I, I didn't prepare anything. I just sat down and thought, Hey, I want to do nice bass melody and I don't want to just do the same thing that I did seven years ago. So here's me explaining why I want to try something that's different and why that is actually better than the original version. And sometimes it was the other way around where I said, okay, you know what? The original was good as it is, but at least I tried, which I wouldn't have without the stream. And like that kind of access to someone's thought process is so insanely valuable. Um, a lot of, as I've been learning animation, a lot of my favorite tutorials are not, 
here's the five steps. Look, there you got a cartoon character. We're done. Because all I learned in that was a procedure of the box is this size. Change the rounded corner to the, like all I've gotten is a formula. But being able to like reason through it is it helps me step into the shoes of someone who's better than me at something, and then I get a little better as a result. So I, I think this live stream is is awesome, and you should keep doing them. Oh, definitely. So I figured out that I probably won't um, stream certain parts of the process. So I probably will never stream the initial start or the composition of something because that's pretty much spontaneous. It will happen any time of the day. And I'm in such a flow that I probably wouldn't be able to react to the chat much. And at that point... <laughs> um and just listening to the same loop over and over again, trying to figure out which note is just perfect. Like maybe at some point I will stream that, but I feel like this is, this is too private. That's, this is too intimate. And Would then you ever the, stream the part where, uh, you get angry and you hate what's happening and you decide to delete the project? No, but, uh, that's the thing. I, maybe that would happen like 80% of the time. So true. That's <laughs> ah, another good reason it, not delete. to stream that. And so the complete other end, which is like the, doing the final mix down and all these surgical EQ cuts and stuff. I feel like I probably also won't stream that because I'm still not confident enough that I'm doing a good job. It probably will take a lot of time. Again, I'm looping the same measures over and over. People will get tired. Uh, I don't know if I will do that, but right in the middle where you already have something to work with. And now you start working on, can I do something else here? Can I flesh this out more? Can I add some crazy stuff here? Can I do some sound design on this synth? Because I grabbed the first preset that came to mind, but now I want to do a synth that's just for this song. Like this is the kind of stuff that I feel is really interesting. And as we just learned, like this is where you can actually explain a lot of the thought process where I think it's just even for casual viewers, it will be and casual being just non-musicians. It would be really interesting just to see what happens there when somebody makes music on a computer. What is he actually doing there? And I well, has know Lars that, done any of this for his watercolor painting or, or well, illustration yeah, we're, stuff? We're, we're streaming. So he's usually then working on a picture. He usually just did, finished the sketch and then he's doing the coloring. And um, all throughout, he, he isn't explaining every step. But if like we take a lot of questions, he explains a lot of that people uh, ask for. Uh, sometimes he takes a different sheet of paper and then demonstrates something on there. And then pretty often he, he, he tells us that, oh shit, I just made a mistake. I try, I'll try to save this in some way. So this is what happened. This is, this is why it's wrong. And this is how I'll try to fix it. Now you can see it. And it usually yeah. turns out well because he knows his shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a similar way where he already has something prepared and he knows somehow what he's doing, but also he's sometimes experimenting and then it's like, well, this didn't turn out great. Grabs the tissue, like wipes it all off, and thankfully it's watercolor, so it doesn't sink in right away. Yeah. Yeah, the, it was just a great session. And yeah, near the end, I just told people, so yeah, I'm done now. Um, the class dismissed, you can leave. And people didn't want to <laughs> leave. They, I was like, I, I can't really play a lot of songs on the bass because first and foremost, like playing just a song on the bass is usually just, it needs its context. But somebody requested a song, like, uh, it's, it's right now, uh, some people called it the second, um, what is it? The second Gangnam style. I wouldn't go that far. Have you heard of PPAP, um, pineapple? What was it? Pen, pineapple, apple pen. It's just some weird 
Japanese guy. I'll put it in the show notes. You can watch it later. <laughs> so somebody requested I play that, and it has like a really easy baseline that's just an octave. So I played that, and I knew very well, like, okay, this is going to get muted later, or Gamer, or whatever, Content ID. I don't care. I'm going to re-edit the whole stream anyway, so it doesn't matter. And yeah, once the processing was done, YouTube told me, Content ID, this song is in there. You can't use that. You can't monetize this. But it gave me an option. gave me the option, remove the song. And I thought, are they doing it the same way Twitch is doing it, which is just muting that part of the video? Yeah. So I tried it and it took a lot of time processing because it was a two hour video. And like next day I, I went into YouTube and saw that the video was done processing. I skipped to that part and lo and behold, they completely filtered out the song, but my bass was totally intact. <laughs> Amazing. Like you could tell there was some audio processing happening. Like it, it was like lower bit rate or something, but it was totally passable you could hear every note I was playing, although I was playing the exact same thing that was in the song. So they are probably doing just some, yeah, typical face cancellation. But I was amazed that YouTube has this option now and it actually works. That also hit our Flipping Tables live stream because we played Tony Hawk with music from that's yeah, clearly but needs we to muted be licensed. We, 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 so we muted uh, it. So well, then on one happen. of my other live streams, I I didn't mute it, and YouTube had that option to just like, well, here's eerie silence while you skate around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, now you you get the eerie silence, but still get the skate noises, and it just worked so well. So the downside is they they are reprocessing the whole video now. If they're smart, they're only reprocessing the audio stream of the video because the video doesn't need any re-encoding. But still, um, so when we had one of Lars's live streams, which tend to be like five hours long, and we just have a Spotify playlist running in the background, we got a list of like 50 songs with content ID <laughs> claims, which we knew would happen. We don't care. This is, we, we don't archive those. Um, but I could technically now remove every single one of them, one after the other, but every time it would have to re-encode everything. Oh. So five hour video. 50 times it would take a few weeks and i would wonder like how does it sound then you know those <laughs> experiments where people like record from one vhs to the other or just re-upload the same video to youtube again and again this is what would yeah. happen <laughs> re-encode party kind of like translation party but that's an extreme case but yeah it's great that they now have this option so you don't have to yeah live with complete science because maybe that's just the musical bet that you've used but you don't want to lose the speech you don't want to redo everything it's it's great thank you youtube thank you <laughs> now uh, twitch please also do that because right now twitch is just oh you played 10 seconds of a bon jovi song well here's half an hour of your video muted <laughs> great shot to the heart should we go to pick of the week Yes, it's pick of the week time. All right. Well, you should go first. No, you should go first. I've been babbling so much about my stuff today. Okay, okay. My pick of the week is a song called, you know, apropos of our recent topic, it's called Silent Song by Daniel Rosen. And uh, he plays with Grizzly Bear. He plays with Department of Eagles. And he also does this solo stuff. And I think the, the most common feature of the projects he's in are, I would describe them as connoisseurs of ambient layers of production so you know if you if you're a fan of grizzly bear they have lots of ambience to their recordings and uh i think that's also true uh in this song so let's hear a little bit of silent song Exile on the hill. 
baseline in that chorus so good i just noticed it extra this time um so as you heard in the song i really think it has kind of a kinks vibe like it's like a 60s folk rock british invasion thing um but with the patience of a five minute modern production that takes it (laughs) in all these different directions and uh it, it came it you know like a lot of my picks these days it did come on my spotify discover playlist and then i was like yep I like that. I like that a lot. And, uh, you know, it was also, you know, a song I, I stuck with for a few weeks before I was like pulled the trigger on, yup, it's a pick of the week this time. And, uh, you know, some features musically that I really enjoyed about it. Um, the, the chorus has kind of a three measure, which plays into it feeling like a round. It, it just keeps cutting back to the beginning, uh, a little early as you hear these falsettos and then this other voice, you know, take their turns going back and forth. And that's the part that really hooked me on the song. And then as you listen to the song over and over, just all these details keep surfacing that are just really tasteful, really well done. So uh, what did you make of this song? I really like the song. I'm just always in awe when I hear a track like that, where after listening and enjoying it throughout like the half of the song, I just realized that instrumentally wise, there's nothing special in the song. That's, that's a guitar, that's a bass, that's drums, and that's vocals. Like there is no, like as much as I like crazy electronic stuff, there's nothing in there. And there's still so much variety in the way they play, the sounds and the tones they have. Um, that that one guitar that you would maybe describe as juicy i would say it's like a very <laughs> brilliant tone like brilliant not as in the compliment but just brilliant sounding and they just have a way of the song not becoming boring in any way like it always changes the changes you just described this thing really earned its four minute 42 seconds it always comes around with something new around the corner so what was your pick of the week a, a different kind of british invasion True, true. Every once in a while, we pick something that's not necessarily very unknown or like cutting edge modern or some deep cut. You know what? I really love the song by Nick Kershaw, Wouldn't It Be Good? It just popped into my mind like one or two weeks ago. And I remembered that I was kind of fast scared by the video. So (laughs) I couldn't look away, but I also felt very awkward watching it as a kid. Although the video is like the the song is older than me, but still it was still being played when I was a kid. And so I knew it. Um, I also enjoyed other songs by Nick Kershaw, but like that was the one that always stuck with me as well. That was kind of special. This didn't sound like the other stuff. And of course, like this in this song, the atmosphere comes from the verse a lot. Like the verse, they're really haunting and almost depressing. So as a, as a kid, I was kind of scared. I didn't really understand the song. I mean, I didn't understand the lyrics other than the chorus, which has had been translated to me by my mother. I thought, wow, that, that, it's kind of weird. 
And then now as an adult, I just totally love that. There's so many amazing melodies in there and, and also like lots of little surprises here and then for what I would call a rock pop song or pop rock song from the eighties. It is surprisingly progressive in its choices for chords and melodies and just the whole song structure. There's just a lot of things that if you take away the eighties in the production, like, this song is is not 80s in its composition, I believe. It's just one of those timeless songs. So I can really describe, like, this is why it's timeless. So let's <laughs> have a little bit of Wouldn't It Be Good by Nick Kershaw. Yeah, and that synth in the verse, this like an electronic slide whistle <laughs> that I didn't understand that as a kid, but now I love it because now I'm into like noisy stuff that's slightly dissonant. So what what did you think of the song? I mean, you know, you you were alive when it came out, probably, I believe. I, it, it came out the year I was born, so 1984. Um, so I, I totally missed this song growing up. I didn't know it before you shared it this week on the show. I wonder oh. if my older siblings would probably know this song. Um, I'll have to ask them. Uh, and I see what you're saying about like, at first glance, the eighties production threatens to like overshadow what is actually a much more, it's a much more interesting composition to pigeonhole it as just an eighties song or something. Um, even though, yeah, that the smack and decay of the snare is so 80s, just a, like every, every, you know, four beats. Um, and so at first I was, I was kind of caught up in that, like, oh, it's some 80s pop song, but somewhere around, and it's actually kind of another kind of longer song that earns its length. Um, in the bridge, when the brass comes in, you, it was sort of like it washed over me. This song has a lot going on and it's very confident and well put together. And like it, it finally became clear to me at that point in the song. I was like, Oh, this is actually a very special song. And it, it is, it does transcend the, the production genre. And so I, I went from, you know, Oh, I can enjoy this because I like the eighties in general to, I like this song in particular. And, uh, so it's always great when a song is able to reach that point of justifying itself beyond the labels you're tempted to put on it at first <laughs> yeah yeah when that song popped into my head i was i just got off work i got in the car and it's like man nick kershaw wouldn't be good that was a good track let me put it on just blasted it at full volume and when that brass <laughs> section comes out it's basically a brass solo goosebumps all up just thinking about yeah. it right now it's happening again i just this is I, the word epic is so overused and maybe it's even too strong here, but this song is just doing everything right. It's, it's one of those blueprints of where I want my music or just the, the kind of effect I want my music to achieve. I want this, this haunting, um, depressing thing in the verse that still gives you a little bit of hope in the chorus. And then you've got the bridge that just kills it. That's for me the perfect song, and this is this is one of the uh, implementations of that. That's great. 
And as always, you can find these picks of the week on our Spotify playlist, uh, which we'll link to in our show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 66. I just chained a lot of things together in that sentence. <laughs> these songs on the playlist linked to on our show notes on our website. Uh, so please head there. We'll also have links to all these utilities, uh, audio hijack and Voxendo recorder and, and, uh, these different things that if you're producing music or podcast yourself, you might find useful, uh, nano studio, etc. So definitely check those out while you're at our website. You should subscribe to our show. If you're new, if you join because of Matt's live stream, please subscribe, give us feedback, talk to us, uh, share songs with us, share topics with us. Uh, we're both on Twitter, so if you want to talk to me, I'm at pseudo Michael S U D O Michael, and Matt, your Twitter handle at Echolox E C H O L O X. If you'd like to support us directly, you can pledge at Patreon.com/slash Sunrise Robot, and depending on the level you support us, you'll get your name mentioned at the end of every show. So special thanks to Benji Robinson, Carolyn Kraut, and Joan Edwards. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>